Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm just, like, so, so glad I'm not straight. <laughs> and this week, we continue our review of romance with 1990's Pretty Woman and 2003's Something's Gotta Give. Before we discuss the fate of one deeply traumatized baby, <laughs> you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy <laughs> Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, or following us on Tumblr at Mortified Pod. Layla. Aaron. Rom-coms rule, don't they? Oh my god, they're objectively the best. Yeah, um, you know, last week we talked about, or not last week, two weeks ago we talked about Filari, uh, and we had a great time with that. Um, but, like, this is really, truly, like, the... Uh, the things that kind of we grew up with, which is like like the a classic American rom com, where you got two people that are very different, but somehow through the magical love they come together, uh, and you know, the, the the obligatory heterosexuality is just palpable, uh, especially in our second f- film of of the day. But um, you know, I like these stories. Uh, I, I think you know th- these are both the rom coms that like our first rom coms we've seen, right? Yes, that was the prompt, is what is the first romantic comedy you remember seeing? Mine comes with a caveat, because my, technically, the first uh, rom-com I ever remember seeing uh, is a old Russian film from, like, the 70s, I think, called The Irony of Fate, or Have a Nice Bath. That is its full title. It's Ironia Sutsby Ilislyokim Param. That is the film. Uh, it The reason we did not watch that movie, even though it is fully subtitled and available, is that it is, I think, believe four hours long. So <laughs> 184 minutes. <laughs> yep, there it is. <laughs> it airs in two episodes on Russian uh, Channel 1 Russia, and we uh, it, it is tradition to watch it every new year because the plot of that film is, uh, uh, this is just a fun story to tell. So in Reconstruction Russia, uh, the thing is that they reconstructed very quickly and they built a lot of the same houses uh, and apartment buildings uh, in different cities. And so this guy gets super, super drunk and he gets on a plane somehow and flies from one city to another and with his same key is able to open a different apartment that looks just like his in another city. But, oh God, a lady lives there. And then, you know, hijinks ensue and they fall in love. He does ruin her life a little bit. She's like actively engaged and he breaks up her and her fiance you hate to see it hate to see it but that's that's love baby yeah um so but my my yeah my film uh my what i brought to this episode is pretty woman 1990 starring julia roberts and richard Gere. and you brought uh 2003's something's gotta give starring um jack nicholson and uh diane keaton and keanu reeves <laughs> which I, was a surprise what? to me we're going to have a lot to say about Something's Gotta Give, but I will say, I think Jack Nicholson should do more off-cups. Maybe in, with less shitty characters, but he looked like he was having fun. He did. He did. He was having a good time. Um, shall I do Pretty Woman and do you want to do Something's Gotta Give and then we can kind of jump into each other's summaries? Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay. Pretty Woman, uh, 1990. Uh begins with edward lewis he's this like shitty businessman basically he the wikipedia describes him as a corporate raider which means he like buys people's companies against their will and then he like breaks them into smaller companies or or, you know units or whatever and then sells them at, at a greater profit um 
it opens with him like having a conversation with his girlfriend who you know he breaks up with immediately because she's like you think i'm just at your beck and call like you know i don't really want to you know be here you know you talk more to your secretary than you talk to me uh and then he like talks to somebody who he had like an ex-girlfriend that he had previously dated or who just got married right and he's like hey when we were dating did you talk to my secretary more than me and she's like your secretary was one of my bridesmaids uh, <laughs> which is such a good way to start that movie uh, it rips um but yeah basically he's at this party and he's talking to his lawyer philip stuckey who is played by jason alexander of seinfeld fame um and he is um basically they have this new business they want to take over run by uh james morse and his grandson david um i'm not sure exactly what they do but they're like i think ship builders question mark they build ships is the impression that i got uh because they got navy contracts and all all the such right right so um you know that that's their next company and um you know he's going to go to i want to say uh los angeles to to meet with them and um, yeah, maybe we see Hollywood Boulevard. We see Rodeo Drive. Yeah. He's in L.A. Yeah, he's in L.A. Um, and he's like going to drive to L.A. So he takes uh, Philip's uh, car, which is a stick shift. Uh, and he drives to LA and he doesn't know how to drive a stick shift. So it, like the gears are grinding the whole way. Uh, it, it's very embarrassing for him. Uh, and then we switch perspectives to our protagonist, uh, Vivian, the most character of all time. Vivian's great. Uh, easily my favorite character out of, uh, all of these movies. Um, she, she is so fun. I completely forgot. And I think it was uh, when I was young and watched this with my mom, I think it was completely lost on me how charming she she is because uh, my uh, I think I was very trapped in that like, you know, this is this is I was a teenager raised by my mom who's very like proper. I think I think I was trapped in the kind of internalized misogyny and the internalized classism of it all where it's like mm-hmm. oh she said she was gonna pee her pants how crass and now i'm like <laughs> no nah, she rules <laughs> no she kicks ass uh she's great um yeah um so basically we, we get introduced to, to vivian you know she's somebody who never finished high school um she you know worked a couple of jobs but you know has ended up uh, as a sex worker uh she's rooming with her friend kit uh, but basically, they're having some trouble making rent. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Kit has spent their rent money on drugs. Uh, is I think what happens in the in the movie. Um, and you know, she she's like kind of you know, you working the streets. We kind of see that that the life of a sex worker is is violent and short. Like there's a couple other uh, sex workers that you know have been murdered recently. Um, and and we get that's kind of like the backdrop. We don't really dig into that much in the movie because that's not really what the movie you know is going for. Um, but you know, we kind of get the sense that it's it's hard out there. Um, specifically, they talk about um, like uh, crack cocaine addictions uh, being being an issue because this is a movie that's very much you know set in the eighties. Um, but that's kind of the issues that that um, Vivian's are is dealing with. Um, so basically, Vivian's like, all right, I you know I, I'm relatively new to the sex work thing, but it, it pays the bills, and you know I'm getting used to it. Uh, and she sees uh, Edward. Uh, Richard here driving this car poorly down the road uh, and he stops to ask for directions because he's lost uh, and she's like okay um, you know for five bucks I'll tell you where uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard is uh, and he's like what no and she's like well I guess it was well up to 10 he's like oh come on and then she's like 20 and he's like fine fine fine, fine. get in um, and well she said 10 he said do you, have, do you have change for a 20 and she's like for 20 I'll give it to you personally <laughs> gets in without asking incredible yes um, she kicks ass um 
and like then they start to talking you know and and she like makes some comments about the car and she's like oh yeah you know i grew up with a bunch of brothers i, I read all these car magazines so like i actually know a lot about cars and he's like oh really uh why don't you drive that <laughs> which is like very funny it's it's a good moment yeah, she's a total gearhead. There's also some really good, like, just in, in her, when the perspective shifts and we see her for the first time, there's just some, like, really good storytelling beats about her, like, filling in the scuffs of her shoe with a marker, pulling mm-hmm. the zip up with a safety pin instead of a zipper because the zipper fell off. And there's, like, such a good attention to detail throughout this whole production that in the car, Richard Gere calls her out on uh He's like, ah, oh, you're so good with money, but you're pulling your boots up with a safety pin. And I'm like, God, that's so good. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I feel like I'm so used to rom-coms in the 2000s being lazy that seeing one that gives like the bare minimum attention to detail was like genuinely delightful to me. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you can definitely tell like they thought about, you know, the ways in which you can see Vivian's character as more than, you know, just like the stereotype, which is very fun. Um, there's there's a lot of thought put in this. Um but basically, you know, they drive to the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel, um, and that's like a really swanky hotel. Uh, at this point, Edward's like, okay, uh, I'll see ya. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then he's like, uh, are you going to call a cab? And she's like, no, I'll take the bus. And at that point, like, he's like, okay, I, I don't know if this is out of pity or like he's genuinely a trade at this point, but he's like, oh, you know what? What's your, what's your rate? And he's like, and she's like, oh, well, it's a hundred bucks uh, an hour. And he's like, oh, okay, well, how much for the whole night? And she says, well, it's 300 And at that point, I was like, that's not enough money, girl. <laughs> girl, the whole night, $300? Come on. Even even in two, 2024 money, that's still not enough money. That's um, not enough whatsoever. I also couldn't tell. I think, he's, I think he's already kind of intrigued with her at this point because she's a break from his, like, monotony. The thing that makes uh, Edward compelling to me is that he always seems like an outsider in his own circumstances. Like, he has this, um, he has this mannerism, Richard Gere playing this character has this mannerism about him, where he just gets really quiet and he, like, stares at what's going on as if, like, observing it from outside his own perspective. Mm-hmm. He does it to Vivian a lot. He does it later as he's, like, kind of becoming conscious of his own agency. He does it in his business meetings. And so, like, every time she does something, he kind of stops and just stares at her as if he's, like, trying to piece it together and it intrigues him. And I I think that is what makes this movie work for me is, is his, like, consciousness and him having an actual arc. Yeah, right? no. Like, he is a character. He changes throughout... Uh, and like he does like g- genuinely seem very interested in Vivian the whole time, uh, which which is really endearing. Um, basically, and you not know, just because she's hot. Yeah, right. Um, like this is the point like where where they're spending their first night together, um, and like he orders champagne and strawberries. Uh, you know, before before they have sex, she like has this like um, she's like here's like five different condoms. You know, it's a a bu- buffet of protection or safety a buffet a buffet of safety yeah um he, hysterical he um and he's like wow okay and then she's like you know you don't have to buy me champagne and strawberries i'm kind of a, a sure thing and he's just like it's fine um and you know they watch i love lucy together for a bit um and he, he's just like kind of fascinated by her um which is really fun uh you know eventually they do have sex but she tells him that you know the one thing that she doesn't do is kiss on the mouth um and, you know, the next day, uh, Edward gets a call from his lawyer, Phil. Uh, basically, Phil is like, hey, you, you're going to have dinner with James Morse, the guy that you're trying to buy the company from. Uh, he's like, you shouldn't do this alone. You should bring a date, you know, have somebody to back you up. 
Uh, and then Edward's like, you know, could just hire Vivian. You know, she's here. Uh, and, you know, he talks to Vivian about this. He's like, I'll give you $3,000 if you hang out with me for a week. Uh, and like, you know, do I think that that's, you know, probably not, not, you know, worth her time? Um, I, I think that's probably undervaluing it a little bit, but like, you know, she, she agrees. They, they negotiate from, from down from 4,000, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just kind of a fun scene. Uh, so he wants six days and six nights. She's charging him three hundred a night, eighteen hundred dollars for oh yeah, eighteen hundred dollars for six nights plus days. That is thirty. She should have charged him at minimum thirty six hundred dollars. But I guess you could discount the days because he's not around a lot, mm. and she gets to just kind of vibe. And he did pay for a bunch of clothes. Yes. Okay. So. So yeah, I think yeah. that makes up for it. Right. And she has this conversation. She calls Kit and talks about it, and she's like, "Oh, you know, this is a really good deal." Kit's also the most character of all time. I love them both. They're great. <laughs> Kit is fun. Um, but yeah, basically, he's like, okay, I need you to go get a cocktail dress uh, because we're going to go to a fancy dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes through a day of drive, but like we get the scene where the employees, you know, they, she's wearing like this, you know, pretty sexy outfit, um, which like, you know, today doesn't really, you know, it'd be like, oh, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, sexy, but like, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect people to stop and stare. <laughs> Kylie Jenner would walk out in that on Rodeo Drive tomorrow. Right, right. Um and but people are like looking at her as she as she goes into this store and then the store employees are like, Oh, um, yeah, we you, there's nothing for you here and they, they ask her to leave and like well, that sucks and is obviously like, Oh, people are being mean to Vivian, we don't like that. I do kind of wish that more employees could just tell customers to go away. <laughs> Yeah, not based on, you know, class, but right. based on them being annoying for fucking sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, Vivian's very upset by this. She comes back to the hotel and we meet uh, Barney Thompson, who uh, Sierra identified to me as be- played by um, Hector uh, Elizondo, uh-huh. who, who you'll know from The Princess Diaries. Absolutely! <laughs> Um, as the, like, uh, Julie Andrews romance interest, um, but he's like the, go ahead. loves to support a plucky young lady, and I love that. What a career. Yes, no, that's, that's the best. That's kind of, like, my dream goal, is to be an older man who is dignified, but also has a heart of gold and, and helps support young women. You're Uh, well on your way. (laughs) I'm, I'm trying real hard. Um, but like that's his whole he like he like you know brings her into his office and he's, he's like listen you know mr uh mr edward's like a really important client so you know you're gonna pretend to be his niece and we're, we're not gonna talk about you know what your job is and you, you got to start wearing you know more proper clothes and then she's like really upset cause she's like well i was trying to do that and these people kicked me out and he's like oh all right and he calls the you know women's clothing department and it like gets her um you know somebody to help her like get you know buy buy a dress and and then she's like oh okay well maybe you're all right mr barney uh and and, you know they have a fun interaction they become friends from there he helps her like learn how to use uh dinnerware properly um you know like salad forks etc um and you know she gets uh, a nice dress um and then we get the moment where you know uh, edward's coming back and she's all dressed up and he's like oh she's a real classy lady um you know we, we get this moment where he's like suddenly kind of into her uh it's a and, good and, reveal i think mm-hmm. it's good you know you know you know not not to say that she wasn't attractive before but you know it's definitely like oh wow she looks she looks very elegant in a dress um yeah and um 
you know, they, they go and they have this dinner, uh, you know, James Morris, who's like an older, like crotchety guy, very much like the movie wants us to view him as like a father figure for Edward, um, is like, uh, oh, I'm not going to sell. All you do is like destroy shit. Fuck you. Um, but like, it does seem like he's kind of like having fun with Vivian who like doesn't really know how to use the the silverware. Like she accidentally like shoots an escargot behind her at one point. And the, uh, I think the, the like attendant catches it, which is incredibly cool. <laughs> um, oh, like a fucking pro. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, but then like, uh, yeah, they, they kind of go back to their room uh, and um, Edward, you know, has this conversation with Vivian and like, he's actually not that upset, even though they, they like rebuffed him. He's like, ah, you know, we pulled some strings with um, the the Senate Appropriations Committee. So your, your, you know, Navy contract that that's supposed to save your company. Uh, you know, we, we've stalled that. So you're fucked, um, which is a fun detail. <laughs> um, but then like, you know, they have a conversation again and Edward's just like, you know, uh, my dad, you know, like uh, I never really got along with him. My first company I ever bought, I bought from him and destroyed, <laughs> uh, which is like, yeah, daddy issues. Very good. Um, you know, later, uh, they, you know, Edward just leaves and goes to play hotel, uh, or piano in the hotel lobby. Uh, you know, Vivian compliments him on it and they talk and then they do fuck on the piano, which is maybe the most erotic scene i've seen in any movie <laughs> it i remember listen i i was not like i am on the a spectrum i'm I, you know i not a lot of that shit works on me i remember being a kid though like watching this with my mom and going you know fucking let's be clear here the slavs we are not as prudish <laughs> like, i've watched sex scenes with my mom it's fine we don't care but um you know, I remember sitting there going, okay, something that I understand something now, I think that I didn't understand before. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's a good scene. It works. It's, I love it's very sexy. Um, it's fucking any movie made today wishes. Right. I, I mean, even, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the next movie, but like, I think it is like a, a different order of magnitude to, to the sex scenes in, uh, something's got to give. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that happens. Uh, you know, they're, they're having, you know, uh, it seems, it seems like the relationship's progressing pretty well. Then we get to this polo match, um, because one of the, you know, David, David Morse likes polo cause he's a fucking dork. Um, and you know, Phil is there and he sees, you know, Vivian talking to, um, you know, David Morse and he's like, Oh, you know, Edward, she's probably a corporate spy. And he's like, well, no she's a sex worker uh i hired her and then phil who sucks and is the main antagonist of this uh, program you know goes over to vivian he's like oh well maybe after um you know edward's done with you maybe i can have you you know he says in a much grosser way than that um but like you know vivian's very hurt by this you know she has a fight with edward when they, they come back from the polo thing um and i think this scene is actually really really good because like Vivian's like ready to leave, you know, she's like, no, you, you made me feel, you know, small and, and debased me because my profession, you know, you, you, I thought we were like, you know, having a good time. And then you went and like told your shitty friend who said a shitty thing to me. Um, and then what, what uh, Edward does is like, he, you know, he at first is like, okay, fine. You know, you, you want to leave, here's your money, you know, and is like upset. But then like, he realizes that he, if he doesn't do something, he's going to lose her. So as she's like getting on the elevator, he comes out and he he like does a real apology um and like 
that's the thing about you know rom-coms right i think a lot of the dialogue in rom-coms is like a little bit corny and cliche which is what you expect um so that's not really a criticism but this felt very genuine to me it felt like him being like okay listen i fucked up because i was jealous of you talking to that other guy um you know i don't want you to leave i'm having a good time i'm you know i'm having feelings for you please stay with me um you know and uh, i mean i think it's a pretty good apology that you know a lot of young men could probably stand to watch and be like you know he he is explaining himself he is he is talking about the reasons why he did it but like he is you know it is a genuine like it's my fault i'm sorry this scene is so good because first of all the fight is in two parts, right? There's a part where they're fighting in the bedroom and then they're fighting by the elevator. And when they're fighting in the bedroom, it is a long, wide shot on the two of them, but both of them go in the bathroom and the camera stays outside the bathroom and only one of them is ever in the door frame at a time while they're yelling at each other. So they're in the same shot, but they're not. They're completely separated. It is, it's it's just good cinematography. It was great storytelling. And then the, the trick is that when he gives her the money, she doesn't take it. Right. So it's he puts the money on the bed. She doesn't take it. And in that moment, the switch flips of like, he cannot make this go away with money. This is no longer a transactional thing for her. Her feelings were genuinely hurt. Mm-hmm. Because if she had taken the money, then the money, he would have he would have tacitly taken that as like, I can fix anything with money. It's over. She took the money. The transaction is over. But that's the whole point of their relationship is that it's not transactional. It transcends transaction. And she kind of constantly subverts and breaks all of his expectations about the world he knows. So, great scene. Yeah, it kicks ass. Um, for their their relationship it only deepens um, they have a, like a big date night and they fly to San Francisco on a private plane uh, and they see an opera uh, La Traviata uh, according to Wikipedia mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is you know also about a sex worker who falls in love with a, a man um, and like he says this thing about opera which is like you know even though you don't understand it like you can feel it in your heart or whatever and like the people who like who love opera will like will get it and it'll stick with them forever and like well i don't agree with that um i do kind of love how it is used in this scene which is like you know vivian you know who is you know been portrayed as somebody who is not very educated somebody who you know is a sex worker like and just does have this like deep emotional connection to the art that's happening in front of her even though she doesn't understand it and like by the end is like fully crying um it's i I really love that as a bit of like character building just being like you know you know vivian is, is like a very complicated person even though she's goofy like she she has these like strong connections to art and like yeah, it's a very humanizing moment. It's also a, a good. Uh, it's 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 a safe option because it is still keeping her in this world of the elite without giving her a chance to interact with anything but what's happening in front of her. Mm-hmm. So there's no pressure from the outside to behave a certain way. And you know, when you sit in the darkness of a theater, like famously, like the barriers kind of come down. So it's it's a very good use of like what happens in a live performance. Uh, to like expose her but it's also safe for edward because he can just sit and watch her and that is what he wants to do he he's like completely bewitched by this woman this entire movie mm-hmm. um it's a great piece of character building and then two things from it is one i watching it i was like did anastasia cop this scene <laughs> from pretty woman because <laughs> it's very similar even like the cut of the dress is the same uh two 
I think me and you both called out the slide. It was so good. I was going to pee my pants. Yeah, there's like an older couple afterwards. And like Viv is like kind of wiping her eyes. And this old lady's just like, oh, did you like it? And she's like, yeah, it was so good. <laughs> I peed my pants. And then she, the old lady is, looks shocked. And then Edward was like, uh, she said she liked it more than Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> and the old lady's like, uh-huh, sure she did. Uh, it's really funny. Hysterical. It's, it's such a good I Like, I just love... I think, I think like, quips, quote-unquote, and non-sequiturs get a bad rap in the 2000s, because mm-hmm. I think we're, like, oversaturated with this, like, weird irony. Mm-hmm. But her quips work because they're earnest. Right. 100%. Like, it is she's, not meta humor. She's engaging with the story in the way that the character would. Absolutely. Um, she's so committed to her own bit. I love it so much. It's great. Um you know, they they hook up again and like Viv breaks her, um, you know, no kissing rule. They they kiss. You know, she says that she loves him. I don't remember if he says it back. He doesn't. He just stares into the night. Right. Right. So that key moment. Um, and then the next day he's like, you know, what if you didn't have to work and you just I got you an apartment in New York and you just kind of like hung out with me. Uh, and then, you know, this is this is the issue is that she's like, you know, he wanted to get her the apartment in L.A. He wasn't even offering to fly her out to New York. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So you would this, only this come through thing. like a week at a time. Right. So she's like, oh, well, that sucks. You get why that sucks. Right. Um, and he's like, well, you know, like, I like you. But, you know, this this is this is the classic, you know, romance thing, right? Where it's like, okay, now they have to have a, a sort of contrived breakup. Although I don't feel like it's contrived here. Um, I, I think really it works not. much better than than a lot of other romances I've seen because it does genuinely feel like he's like, you know, I have feelings for you. I, I want to like, come ha- hang out. But, like, he hasn't had that character breakthrough moment where he's like, oh, I want to build something more. Um, so if it means, like, you know what? Uh, I can't do that. I want something more. Um, you know, thank you. Uh, this has been great, but I, I gotta go. And they basically break it off. Um, she she specifically talks about how, like, when she was a little girl, her mom would, like, lock her in the attic for hours at a time, and she would have this fantasy of being a princess in a tower, being rescued by a knight in shining armor. Uh, Sierra is watching with uh, me at this point, and I was like, is that a fantasy that lots of young women had and she was like no not not the rescuing part maybe the playing princess part but that's about it and i was like yeah sure this was like in the 80s 90s th- this kind I was of gonna say, unless you're me your fantasy was being one of the rats of nim right exactly <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh yeah well because edward edward needs to have two major things happen he needs to have her worldview reinforced which is what's going to happen with the more steel and there need to be actual stakes mm-hmm. also for him because he is still so coddled by like his safety in money and in the fact that the world kind of like opens up to him he he still doesn't understand that there are going to be consequences for losing her uh because everyone everyone does what what he wants he's the most eligible back bachelor as we find out in the the polo game right all the girls are like oh my god edward um so she needs to leave him which is a a trait consistent with the pride she's displayed right she chooses when she chooses how and how Mm -hmm. much right uh that is uh, one way or how much that's like the the mantra for her and kit that's why they don't have a pimp right Mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of principle and a matter of pride and that's the other thing i really like about this movie is it doesn't talk down on sex work uh, it very much portrays that type of sex work, especially in the, the late 80s, early 90s, as, you know, dangerous, obviously, but, like, a means to an end. Right. It, as, as a means to make a living, it, it, it's not this, like, 
hedonistic debauchery like mm-hmm. it, it's not presented as a sin it's just presented as a fact of of life for these women right um so i i really i it doesn't feel contrived it feels it feels right because he's not willing to commit and she wants commitment like yeah absolutely it's great i, I yeah i know i will talk about this again with the next movie but i think pretty woman is just like so much more structurally solid like the you know it it doesn't feel as like a slog as much of a slog as um something's got to give because of the way it's paced uh, and yeah. structured. And um, even though these movies, like something's got to give is like eight minutes longer, but it feels like a day longer. <laughs> there was a moment where I, I like accidentally hovered the mouse over pretty woman and we were an hour in. I was like, wow, only an hour in, which is a deep contrast to what I was feeling mm-hmm. an hour. in. So it's gotta sure <laughs> is. Yep. We'll get there. Um, yeah. So there's this final meeting with the Morse company uh, where Edward is like, okay, they're, they're going to break, you know, we have them over a barrel um, you know, we can actually buy the company and take it over like we always do. But Edward like kind of has this realization that he's like, you know, I used to love to play with blocks. I really love to build things, you know, and he kind of makes everybody get out of the room, including Phil. And he's like, you know, uh, Mr. Morris, I think we can actually do something more important. You know, what if I don't try to destroy your company? What if I like buy it, but we, we don't like fire you or anything. We start trying to like become profitable again. Uh, and, um, you know, he agrees and uh you know phil is like furious um but like that's how that ends um then phil goes uh has uh you know he's very upset he goes uh to confront uh vivian he attacks her which sucks least favorite part of the movie but again that's kind of a trope of of early 90s 80s movies but it doesn't Um, feel like a lot of the times when there's assault uh, or attempted assault in books movies or whatever Mm -hmm. it feels like it has to happen because that is how you that is how you make women feel small right that is like that's just the thing that you do if you want to take your female protagonist down a notch yes but it doesn't feel first of all it feels like it has some basis because we already saw that phil is a scumbag yes um so it's consistent with his character Mm -hmm. she resists it it's it's consistent with her character she Mm -hmm. she does not want his advances uh, because she's not cheap, right? Right. She's constantly resisting being to made to feel like she's cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see him uh, just like Edward was taking out by his own admission. His. Do you want to say goodbye to your wife? Uh, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> so just like Edward, by his own admission, was taking out his uh, anger at his father on these companies. Uh, Phil is taking out his anger at Edward at Vivian. Um, and, uh, you know, we get Richard Gere obviously coming in and he punches Phil in the face and that is how that resolves, luckily without anybody getting too hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, but still like it, it didn't feel a lot of the times when I, when I watch like assault attempt or attempted assault in movies or read it in books or whatever, it feels like it's, it's like, why this? Like you could have done anything else. You could have, you could have thought of literally anything else here. It's like, okay, this makes sense. Like it sucks to watch, but that's art, right? That's, that's yeah. A movie. You know, this is just like one of my personal taste things. I think they could have done this another way. I think it is done, you know, about, if you're going to use this trope, this is about as good as you can do it. But like, uh, you know, you sent, you sent, uh, my wife, a copy of the bone season, which like when we talked about, you know, the assault scene in that book, it com- it's just completely nothing. It's just like, oh, well, I felt like I had to because fantasy is a gross genre. Um, yeah. But and like, it's, yeah. it's not there anymore. Yep. And it, yep. Took it out. Shout out. Shout out to Shannon. <laughs> shout out to Samantha Shannon. Took it. Actually, uh, shout out to Samantha Shannon. That The rewrite of that book is, is quite compelling. Um, that, she did trick me, though, because it was like, oh, we're going to rewrite the 10th anniversary of the Bones season. 
it. And I was like, oh, okay, I can reread one 400-page book. Now she's rewriting the other ones, too. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. Well, God bless. <laughs> I gotta read the other Samantha, ones. hang in there. Um, but yeah, you know, after that's resolved, uh, you know, Vivian is like, yeah, you know, we still can't be together. Edward's like, all right, I guess. Uh, you know, it seems like they're going to go their separate ways. Uh, Vivian's like gearing up to like move from LA to, I think, uh, San Francisco with all the money that she's made, uh, and be like, you know, you know, she's saying goodbye to Kit, which is very sad. Um, she also gives a lot of money to Kit, and at yeah. the end you hear Kit, again, means to an end, at the end you hear Kit trying to get another roommate, and she's like, well, I'm not going to be there as much, so I'm going to charge you more rent because I'm looking into a beauty course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very fun. Um, Kit's great. Um, but then, of course, Richard Gere comes driving down the street in his limo. He in a cl- white limousine like that mm-hmm. white steed she like always fucking dreamed yeah of. sure um and then he like climbs up the uh the fire escape which she climbed down in the beginning of the movie he's also got afraid of he- he's also afraid of heights so like that has like thematic resonance it's like ah he's overcome his fear blah 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 um it's completely fine choice i you know i think i think the ending is a little bit weak but like it's a rom-com what do you want uh yeah. it, it, <laughs> it ended in the romance that we wanted that's what yeah. we were here for yep yep uh i you know genuinely genuinely a pretty good movie like like B plus A minus. Oh uh, yeah, I loved it. I yeah. I, th- I honestly went in because I watched something's got to give first, and I think you and I came out feeling a lot less charitable about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and uh, I was expecting to go into Pretty Woman like I was like, ah, oh, it's a movie from 1990 about a sex worker. Like I'm sure it aged like terribly and blah. Mm-hmm. It did not age as badly. N- nope. One of these movies did not hold up and it wasn't the one from 1990 <laughs> i think something got worse after the bush administration i swear to god we're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about that because I, I truly think that so if we're ter- you know in terms of quote-unquote progressivism uh some pretty woman tre- treats its characters way better than something's gotta give uh, I also I also saw an interview recently with uh, Julia Roberts. I keep wanting to call her Julianne Roberts because I want because I'm thinking of Julianne Moore and I'm mm-hmm. getting them conflated in my head. Julia Roberts, um, and she actually said that originally the script when she signed on to the movie for Pretty Woman was actually a lot grittier and a lot darker. Right. And I, I it feels like the beginning of the movie where you're talking about finding that girl in the dumpster or like you know the ways that it mm-hmm. proves that sex work is dangerous. Right. It feels like the remnant of the pre Gary Marshall era of this film and then the ending feels much more gary marshall right it's more convenient it's a little bit tropey um but still lovable right we love a gary marshall flick on this uh this podcast have we seen a lot of gary marshall flicks valentine's day oh yeah that makes sense uh, also julia roberts isn't that so ah she, by the way aging beautifully she looks great yeah like genuinely looks about the same in valentine's day as she does in pretty woman like <laughs> shout the fuck out yeah girl drop the skincare routine <laughs> Seri- seriously oh i didn't Meanwhile, realize yeah i didn't realize that gary marshall also directed princess diaries one and two so yeah there you go. uh i was gonna say meanwhile jack nicholson's supposed to be 63 and something's gotta give he does not look 63 he looks 70 (laughs) like like he so i don't think i've actually seen any other jack nicholson movies besides this one but like i know him from the scene in the shining um and like he looks so much scarier in this movie than he does in the shining scene 
I liked him with the beard. There's a sequence with him with the beard. Yeah, the beard is I, all right. I, I, the beard looks better. good. You know, I don't I don't want to be mean to poor Jack Nicholson, but man, no, this a is a <laughs> fantastic performer, just uh, dressed and lit very uncharitably. Yeah, no, he, he's made out to be kind of a, a creep. Um, how about you do the summary of something's got a kid? Oh, boy, here we go. All right. <laughs> Harry Sanborn is a wealthy music executive who only dates women under 30. That is our literal introduction to the character. Mm-hmm. His whole opening monologue is about dating younger women. He and his new girlfriend, Marin, are going to spend the weekend at her mom's beach house in the Hamptons. They haven't had sex yet, so Harry's real excited. Uh, while Marin gets ready to go to the beach, Harry is caught dead in the fridge with his underwear on by Marin's mom, Erica, and her aunt Zoe. Uh, And... (sighs) Okay, so Jack Nicholson, uh, Diane Keaton, this is where we see them. Also, uh, uh, oh my god, what's her name? Frances McDermott. Is Mm -hmm. is, is that who it is? No. Uh, Let me check. It's... Yeah, it's Frances McDermott. Yeah, yeah, Frances McDermott as uh, Zoe. uh, Zoe, she's great. Uh, This... Again, this scene, I think, sets a precedent because it is entirely too long, much like every other scene. Yeah. Yeah. Not wrong. Um, all right. They initially try to call the cops on him, but stop when Marin tells them that Harry is her boyfriend. They try uh, to have dinner together. <laughs> Notably, we should probably point out, Harry is 63. Mm-hmm. Marin is 29. Uh-huh. Uh, and Erica is, I think, 56. Correct. So yeah, like these are the age gaps we're working with. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're gonna find out why Marin's like this later in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they try to have dinner together, and Zoe points out that the con- contradictions between Harry's success and Erica's. Erica being a divorced Broadway playwright who, while still on good terms with her ex-husband, hasn't had any romantic partner since. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Harry is pulling posts left and right, and mm-hmm. it, she goes on this whole monologue about how it's because. Uh, Men, uh, if they are not married, are seen as like having avoided the ball and chain, while women are seen as kind of used and less than. So women, as they age, become more interesting, uh, but derided by society, while men kind of become heroes. They get articles written about them, which is the the specific example they pulled. Mm-hmm. Um, while trying to have sex with Marin, Harry has a heart attack. Yeah, it's really good. Um, well, actually, the heart attack scene is bad, but. Yeah, because she tries to do chest compressions on him that are too fast and gives him CPR while he's still breathing. Um, you should not do that for anybody listening. Um, you know, this is not medical advice, but also if somebody is talking to you, you don't need to give them mouth to mouth. You really don't. Uh, they go to the hospital where Dr. Julian Mercer played by a young, beautiful, shining, gleaming Keanu Reeves. This this is like four years after The Matrix. So like this is, you know, he's still very young. He looks adorable here. He's so smooth and cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he treats Harry. He's also a huge fan of Erica's plays. And as Harry is getting released from the hospital, he offers to make house calls while he stays at Erica's place, while Harry stays at Erica's place to recover. Because uh, his compromise, Harry says he's not going back in the hospital and Julian's like, okay, I'll make you a compromise. Just like stay nearby so we can have a nurse check on you. Right. Uh, again, this is not how medicine works, but sure. Nar. It is abs- absolutely not how medicine works. At one point, Julian gives him an EKG with an ultrasound machine, which is wrong on about five different layers. That is not what an EKG is. Uh, he would not be doing the EKG himself. Nope, it would be nope. a technician. Correct. <laughs> sending um, it to a radiologist and then sending that report to him. <laughs> right. Also, he 
gives the order to hang nitro a nitro drip uh and Uh then asks harry if he's been taking viagra because if he has been hasn't been you know then the the um you know the nitro drip will kill him if if he has been taking viagra uh he like harry freaks out and like you know not knocks pulls his uh you know iv out uh it's it's a very silly scene but also like that's medical malpractice you can't do that you can't make make that call first well, the, the second doctor doesn't ask him at all he has to tell yeah. her yeah yeah no again these doctors are terrible uh american healthcare system is finest right mm-hmm. uh eric and harry uh, slowly start to become friends after some wacky hijinks so you know they're spending they're they're driving each other crazy they're locked mm-hmm. in this beautiful hamptons beach house together uh and you know erica is uptight and she wears a lot of the turtlenecks conversation we'll talk truly, about the turtlenecks here in a second <laughs> it's truly insane but she's real uptight she wears a lot of turtlenecks and harry's like a he has a hip-hop label yeah, okay, he's a yeah we didn't talk singer. about the fact that <laughs> diane keaton's like low-key racist <laughs> yeah because uh how many things can you rhyme with bitch aaron yeah it is very much like she's like oh you run hip-hop that means you hate women because hip-hop is all about misogyny and violence it's like okay and All Harry's right. weak-ass fucking response was like, some people see rap as poetry. It is poetry. Yeah, it's it's just explicitly poetry. It's just right. A lot of it is rhyming. It's literally rhythmic poetry. What mm-hmm. are we doing here? Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, they're driving each other crazy and blah, 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 blah. She's telling them not to smoke in the house. Uh, there, there's a, yeah, there's another scene where she, like, it's two in the morning and she gets naked to walk around the house. Uh, hold on. We'll, we'll get there. Okay, okay. Uh, she comes in, she, she, she's like, while she goes, dishes, do all this shit, they start to, like, AIM message back and forth because they're bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start to, like, get along and get better. And it seems like it's fine. He, Aaron, why don't you explain how he sees her naked? Because it's such a fucking contrivance. Basically, you know, like, she's, like, up late writing her play. Uh, and then he, you know, she sees his light go out. She's like, oh, finally, he's gone to sleep. She takes off all her clothes. Uh-huh. And then proceeds to walk somewhere in the house. And then he sees her naked. Uh, and he's like, ah, oh, I was going to the kitchen. And he like, when he sees her naked, it's like somebody shouted Fusro Da at him because he gets <laughs> thrown into the other room. And he's like, I didn't see much. Just your tits. Which is like, okay, that's pretty funny. Um, it, it is the longest scene in the whole movie, I swear to God. It's not just, it's not that he just like walks in front of the door, turns and sees her, and gets Fusro Dodd. He walks in front of the door, he sees her, she sees him, he covers his eyes, she's screaming, he steps back, she's screaming, he gets <laughs> Fusro Dodd, she's flailing at this point yes. for some reason. They're yelling at each other, he says the tits line, it's a whole thing, and then they keep referencing it. But the whole contrivance of the thing was that the way that I understand that this house is laid out is that his bedroom and her bedroom are on opposite sides of this beach house and the kitchen is between them. He mm-hmm. said he was walking to the kitchen in the dark mm-hmm. and somehow got lost and ended up in front of her bedroom, which is crazy because she was in her office. It's very stupid. Um, I don't know why this happens besides, you know, the the convenience of having the silly scene. I think it's fine, but it is really dumb. <laughs> It's so stupid, and it takes so long. I do appreciate that we get to see Diane Keaton's tits, though. I think, you know, older ladies, just as hot. Diane Keaton, I would argue, 
looks better than any of the women in the like sexy lady montage from the beginning because yes. her dress actually fits sure yeah no it's, uh, it's very funny all right Whew, here we go <laughs> Uh, after that rocky, you know, introduction, they do start to warm up to each other, you know, uh, she's uh-huh. also, you know, like getting, you know, d- dating the doctor, but like, then they start like, they like go out to the beach, right? Yeah. Uh, so they go out to the beach, they have a really nice time. Uh, and, uh, you know, when they come back in, Marin can tell that there's like a little bit of something, something going on or uh, it's the pancake it's thing. It's the pancakes. Yes. Yeah. They, they're, they're up late. They're both night owls. They can't, they're famously, neither of them could sleep more than four hours a night. And so they, they decide they're peckish. And this is after her first date with Julian, the doctor, Keanu Reeves, who is like deeply into her. Uh, I love Keanu Reeves because he makes every role so intense. Like, it's, I don't, it's a shitty, weird, silly rom-com. And the way he looks at Diane Keaton is so compelling. I'm like, oh, this man wants to fuck Diane Keaton. It's great. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, uh, he says, women never eat anything on dates anyway. Uh, the 2000s were hell. It sucks so bad. <laughs> like, they're just bad. Um, but anyway, so so they decided to make pancakes, and then Marin comes, because she got this, like, sad voicemail from Harry. And Marin already moved on. Like, she already is seeing somebody new. Yeah. Uh, and so in the morning, Harry breaks up with her she goes to break up with him and then he breaks up with her which i think is hysterical it's pretty and good. she's like hey mom i know the reason i saw that there was something cooking here other than the pancakes oh i know you don't want to do anything because you thought i fucked him i didn't fuck him so like he's kind of all yours which is just batshit it is a weird like oh just because you dated him you know we didn't like have mucosal contact so it's completely fine and normal uh, yeah totally <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a strange choice, but sure, whatever. Um, but that's that's how they're they are allowed to you know engage in this romance. Absolutely. Um, so now, Erica has permission and has given herself permission to go after Harry. Um, Harry. At, sometimes the dialogue in this movie feels like it's been cut and pasted together, like they're having three different conversations at the same time. And one of those conversations was as. Uh, Erica was leaving the room. Harry asked randomly out of nowhere, asks why she's constantly wearing turtlenecks because instead of the movie subtly just letting the turtlenecks speak for themselves, they have to explicitly call attention to that costuming detail and they have this batch of conversation. Uh, so as they're learning to get along better, uh, they do start to s- see some romantic interest in one another, and then it becomes stormy, and they run inside in some of the worst rain CGI of the decade, uh, and they run indoors, and things proceed to get a little hot and heavy, and then they go to Diane Keaton's bedroom. And then... Normal people, Aaron, I think, I mean... Maybe, listen, maybe straight sex is different. Feel free to correct me, but most people just take off their clothes. So when I was watching, the first time I watched this movie, I was probably like 10 through 12, and I was in Singapore. Uh, Me and my mom uh, were visiting my my family in Singapore. Um, We were jet lagged, so that's why I ended up watching this movie with my mom and my auntie. Uh, And this is the part they made me cover my eyes for. Um, and now I see why, because Diane Keaton does ask him to cut the turtleneck off with the pair of scissors that she just has in her bedside table. 
Aaron, what's in your bedside table? Is it scissors? It's not that. Because <laughs> uh, I just got like a phone charger and a light. Listen, there is sex stuff in my bedside table, but like not scissors. <laughs> you got to get on Diane Keaton's level. Yeah, then. apparently <laughs> she's into some kinky <laughs> shit. Um, she lays there like Jesus on the cross <laughs> and then is upset with Jack Nicholson when he doesn't cut her sweater. That's it's, it. it's deranged. Uh, it rules. Oh. It's it's just great. <laughs> Erica oh is, is an all time character uh, because she is so out, like just the weirdest person in the world. She's a freak. Yes. Uh, capital F freak. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> I think a lot of repressed white ladies are freaks, though. Yeah, that's fair. Valid. You know? Who, who, who's Fifty Shades of Grey for? Come on. I mean... Uh, uh, is Fifty... Hmm. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm willing to say that, yeah, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was directly influenced by something's gonna give. <laughs> well, it was at least influenced by the Bush era. I think I genuinely mm-hmm. think we went backwards in the Bush era. Yes, some... yes. I, I think there is like a weird conservatism throughout this entire movie that that almost certainly was influenced by it by the the conservatism of the time. Uh, very strange. Very strange. So we think. I know our lenses are like our lenses are a little bit biased because we were kids at the time, but like. Do we think it's worse now, or is it better now? I can't tell. This is just a talking point that I had, which is like, yeah, is, did we just do? Do we just notice how bad it was because we don't remember the '90s and '80s? Because like, you know, I'm sure there was like bad shit in the '90s and '80s, right? We're just coming off of Reagan, right? Um, right. Well, you're just coming off of Reagan. I'm ramping into Putin. Yes, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> different form of terrible conservatism uh, uh-huh. over there. Uh, but yeah, like. I don't know why this movie has such a conservative, like, like pseudo misogynistic streak. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think it's misogynistic as much as it is like, this is just the way that men are, um, which is almost worse. Yeah. Well, cause I feel like pretty woman doesn't do this. Like Richard Gere gets to play a character who's right. who Yeah. Is, is masculine in like a traditional way, but is also very like, I don't know. He has feelings and goes through a character arc and it doesn't require him. We'll get to it. Interviewing all the women he fucked over. Right. Like Jack Nicholson fully has to talk to literally every single woman. He's like, you know, hooked up with and then, you know, left. Um, It's like a months long process. Um, And like that's presented as a normal thing to do. (laughs) Um arguably Richard Gere's character arc started before he met Vivian because again he asked that girl after his ex-girlfriend yelled at him he was like did you really talk to my secretary more than you talked to me like that right he's already noticing his own deficiencies Vivian just gives him a way to address them right whereas arguably Jack Nicholson's character never changed it I mean he like I don't know. The ending of this this movie is so bonkers that I don't know what to do with it. But uh. well, again, all right, Harry sucks ass as we just said, uh, <laughs> and he's not ready to commit, so he leaves the beautiful Hamptons beach house. Doctor Keanu continues to date Erica. She accidentally blows him off because Marin calls her very upset uh, and demands that she comes down to the city from the Hamptons. Uh, 
uh, this is just a personal beef of mine as somebody who lives in New York State, but not the city of New York. Everyone who lives in New York City assumes everybody knows the geography of New York City. So it's like, oh my God, you had to come back into town. From the Hamptons? Isn't the Hamptons in New York? How am I supposed to know that? I'm not a rich New Yorker. Um, anyway, so if you're making a movie in New York City, uh, fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> Same with LA, honestly. Oh my god, that's like in Malibu. Where the fuck is Malibu? I don't know. I'm from a small town. Uh, anyway. Only the Fast and Furious franchise is exempt from that curse. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. That's fine. They're the only ones that get, get away with anything in my book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Marin calls uh, and she's like, hey, dad, uh, I just met uh, with dad for lunch. Uh, he is getting married to a girl that is two years older than me and is an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. You've got to come down here. I'm losing my mind. I have a big auction tonight. She's an auctioneer. Um, How do you feel about this Marin's reaction to her dad getting remarried? I mean, I don't think she's very emotionally mature. Right. My, I think she should keep it together a little bit. Right. This is my feeling, too. And Marin is my age, right? She's 29. So it's like, I, you know, I understand feeling weird about your parent getting remarried, but like they've been divorced for a while. Yeah. Um, I just think she she like has the she's like fully sobbing when she's calling Diane Keaton, uh, and I don't know it's it That's was a such a strange thing like Marin Marin is such a weird character uh, <laughs> who who is just like serves to serve to like she she exists to make the plot happen which sucks yeah. um, but like she does it in such a weird way that I don't like her unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you would, so I would wager that Julia Roberts was meant to be about the same age, if not younger, like mid-20s, to mid to late 20s in right. Pretty I think, Woman. I think Julia Roberts is like, is 20 or 21 in Pretty Woman. So much depth in her, right? right. So much like presence of like self in her at that at that age, rather than this 30-year-old baby. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so Marin Marin's freaking out. Uh, I don't think she can hang with us, TBH. No, no. Uh, I think we'd we'd maybe have one drink with her and and then talk shit for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um. So uh, Harry at the dinner meet, uh, where Erica meets her ex husband and his fiance to be. Uh, she also sees Harry with another young sexy woman, which causes her to have a huge meltdown. He says to her, "I just don't know how to be a boyfriend." and ends their relationship. Harry has a panic attack and goes to the ER. Yeah, I mean, he he just has, like, bomb after bomb line that make me hate him so much. Get panic attacked, idiot. Like, I think that was literally what I (laughs) wrote. Yes, I watched you write that. (laughs) I was like, yes, finally. Uh, It's so nice to get to to see somebody who deserves to have an anxiety disorder when so many people I do know and love have anxiety disorders. I started having panic attacks when I was twelve. It was the scariest shit that ever happened to me. Finally, it's it's a it's a punishment on someone who deserves it. Mm-hmm. Not my twelve year old ass. <laughs> uh, Erica loses her mind. Is this where Twilight got that scene where er- where Bella sits in a fucking chair for eight months or whatever? Because the camera work is the same. The new moon, yeah, where it's just like wake up immediately, start crying. <laughs> And the camera just spins around her the whole yes. time. It's the same camera work. It's it's really good. I think this is supposed to be played as a joke because her sobbing is just like so hysterical. Um, and it, it happens like literally as soon as she wakes up. But like, you know, it's 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 fun. We shit on Filari for, I think, 40 minutes about being tonally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. This movie also. 
Is it a joke? Because the, the the scene where they break up is like played for serious. Yes. Yeah. And then this is just a comical way to. It was odd. It was odd. It was really weird. Um. But yeah, uh, then she channels her sorrow into making a play. Yeah, it's called a woman to love, which is what Harry calls her, and nobody understands what that means. Uh, Harry goes to see rehearsals for it uh, when after he has a date with another younger woman who was auditioning for it and tells him what it's about, and it's about him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is very it's, good. Uh, he is upset. Uh, sorry, he is a little pissy-wissy that his ex <laughs> is making a musical about how much he sucks ass. So, okay, they call it a... They call it a play, but there is music in it, so I think it is a musical. She's explicitly a Broadway playwright. They never bring you up can have Broadway. You can have Broadway play plays. Straight I plays. did not know that. I thought it was exclusively musicals, but uh, it Broadway. seems like they have like a bunch of dancing Harrys. Like, so that makes yeah. me think that it is a musical. It's a musical. Uh, Broadway just means that the theater is playing and has more than five hundred seats. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I thought it literally just referred to Broadway, the street. No, no, <laughs> several other streets involved. Uh, the more you know. Uh, all right. <laughs> so he learns his character is killed off in the play. That's another heart scare. The doctor tells him to do something not stressful. And we get a batshit six-month time skip. Like, what is happening in the pacing of this movie? Just like, <laughs> we're at like hour, an hour 40, an hour 50 in, and we get this six-month no, time we're skip. we're not that... We are not that close to the end for the time skip. There's two time skips. This is like an hour 10 in. There's so much movie that you summarized very quickly because I think you went into a fugue state. I, okay, we'll talk. Okay, we'll see. It happens early. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think it happens that early, but yeah, it's, it's somewhere between the two of us, but it's, mm-hmm. it's earlier than like hour 40, hour 50. So anyway, Harry shows up to Marin's apartment six months later mm-hmm. to apologize. This bitch is three months pregnant and married. Yeah. You ever, you ever break up with an old man and immediately get married afterwards? And no, then but get I'd be pregnant? willing to. <laughs> any well, takers <laughs> well there you go uh it's mortifiedpod at gmail.com uh i will also be reading those so if don't don't send some weird shit <laughs> I'll, I'll send a virus to your computer <laughs> i will also send a virus to me. real suitors <laughs> only uh yeah between the ages of 28 35 please anyway so uh batch it just a completely batch it decision so the timeline there is she breaks up with the old man and then I guess that guy is probably the guy she says he she met and like was already dating as she was breaking up with Harry. Mm-hmm. That is still three months in which you don't get engaged, you get mailweed, mm-hmm. and then are pregante. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: I dated my wife all through high school, basically. So yeah, like, y'all have been together forever. Like, yeah. So we've been together for thirteen years, married for. Uh, four four in june um so we are like very judgy engaged yeah and we'd been engaged we were engaged two years before our wedding so like we are very judgy of people who get married quickly but even that is just like this is this is no good (laughs) this is bad this is yeah they live in a very small apartment in new york city together and they're about to have a bebe that's that's no good absolutely not uh this is that's what that's what you did pre-covid to really test your relationship yeah um 
uh, so uh, Marin uh, tells him that Erica went to Paris, which is a thing they said uh, that, that Erica kind of scared him with, where she was like, hey, if we still know each other in January and February for our birthdays, we should go to Paris together. And that is like the first stage of Harry freaking out that she is taking this more seriously than he is capable of. She actually goes to Paris uh, and, 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 you know, Harry's like, well, you know, I would like to see her. And, and Marin is like, well, I'm just saying. Marin. We'll go back to what Marin doesn't say. <laughs> Harry flies to Paris, finds Erica at the bistro she said she liked, which had, quote, the best roast chicken in the universe. I would like to put that to the fucking test. Uh, and they have this, like, clearly kind of awkward half date. And then Marin did mention that she's in Paris. With Keanu Reeves. So he shows up. Mm-hmm. And then for some godforsaken reason, asks Harry to stay for dinner. Yeah, like, bro. Hey, bro. Hey, Keanu. Can I take you aside for a second, man? If the, like, weird shithead who almost got you, you your current girlfriend to dump you, shows up in Paris on her birthday, the night you proposed to her, that's that's shovel work, my man. That is um, that is grounds for fighting. Like you can't you can't be cool with that. Which also batshit to propose to a woman twenty years older than you, because Keanu's supposed to be thirty six in this movie, and she's mm-hmm. supposed to be uh, fifty six. Uh, six months into dating her, yeah, a little soon, everyone. And they could they can get around this just by making the time skip longer. It wouldn't have changed anything, but they didn't. Nope. They're like, not six months. Nope. Wouldn't have changed a goddamn thing. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and then the ending happens, which is Keanu and Erica drive away after a long goodbye. Keanu clearly sees she still has feelings for Harry. This is the last we see of Keanu Reeves. All right, and babe. then Erica comes back to the fucking... Which, okay, Harry says a line here that I fucking hate it, which is he's standing alone on this bridge, it starts to snow, and he's like, ah, now I get to be the girl. Fuck you. Fuck yourself. Fuck this. I hate this. <laughs> and then Erica shows back up, and she's just like, you know, Julian said I looked like I was still in love with you. And then they get together, and it is, it just sucks. It sucks to watch. Uh, fucking, uh, several months later, we time skip again. Mm-hmm. This is the second time skip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're getting dinner with Mara and her husband uh, and their new baby, who's going to need just so much goddamn therapy. So, because okay. Because their grandpa mm-hmm. is their mom's ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And grandma wrote a play where she kills grandpa. <laughs> and doing this while dating baby hot young Keanu Reeves, who is an... Uh, Hey, I don't know if we have any listeners in the Gen X, late Gen X, early boomer bracket, but um, hey, it's hard enough out here. I do not need to be competing with hot 56-year-old women <laughs> for the eligible doctors out there. So can y'all... Can y'all be cool? <laughs> yeah, can y'all be cool, please? Leave some for, for the 30-somethings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, uh, wow, what if, what, I, hey, I think in the 2000s, we as a culture got worse. Yeah, it definitely seemed like movies got either edgier or more misogynistic or... Both. 
Yeah, both. This is what happens when you introduce CGI. People start getting lazy and terrible. Oh, God, the 2000s were a fucking cesspool. It was bad out there. 9-11 set us back culturally. No, for real. Like, I, 9-11 casted aspersion on this country. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't think we've recovered yet no, from the we conservative bent. No, we have not. Oh, my um, God. Anyway, uh, we are sponsored this uh, episode by uh, GetTrumpSneakers.com. <laughs> you want to use the code uh, MortifiedPod, you can get uh, 5% off uh, Donald Trump's $400 golden sneakers, uh, and we will send you personally uh, autographed uh, shoelaces with that. If you buy, we, me and Aaron were going through this website earlier. And if you you have to buy a minimum of two items to get the bonus items, and one of the items has to be a sneaker, so you have to spend at least three hundred dollars buying a sneaker, a cheaper sneaker, not the not the sexy gold ones with the bad American flag on them. <coughs> you have to buy a cheap sneaker, two hundred dollars, and a cologne or perfume, one hundred dollars. So you get the bonus items. One of the bonus items is an invite to a party where Donald <laughs> Trump may or may not show up. Probably not. <laughs> and then the other one is you can get some shoelaces. And Aaron made the funniest joke anyone could possibly make because he said, if you buy these shoes, you get <laughs> someone asks you where you got the shoelaces. You could say you got them from the present. <laughs> Which... If you weren't on Tumblr about 10 years ago, that made no sense to you. But if you were, hopefully you're giggling. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. Incredible period in history we live in. Oh, Uh, we live in, we live in hell. We live in a purgatory. (laughs) We cannot escape. I wonder if like this era will produce rom-coms as rancid as the Bush era. I hope we just go back to like... Like, I want batshit early 90s. I want weird. I want 1993 Mario. I want fucking, what is that one horror musical we watched? I want, uh, uh, I know this is early 2000s, but the Repo. I want weird shit. I want weird shit that is of the time so that when we watch it, we actually like it. Instead of when we watch it 15 years later and we don't like it because it was of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want it to be of our time. Yes. Um, yeah, so, um... You know, I have a couple talking points. We kind of covered a lot of them. Um, this is a, a shockingly long episode for the subject matter. Yeah, listen, there's a we have a lot to say about rom coms. Um, we love rom coms. You know, mortifypod at gmail if you have one to recommend to us. Yes, please do. Um, you know, do, do you think that there's like a fundamental difference in the way that these movies portray their like eroticism? Like, there are sex scenes in these, but like, I do feel like the the 1990s one, the Pretty Woman, is just like much more like earnest and and sexy, whereas um, something's got to give is is less sexy and more the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, the thing about the Pretty Woman sex scenes is that they come as um, again, uh, uh, Julie Roberts in it says she's a given, right? So like. It comes with the territory that they're going to have sex. But the way in which they have sex changes, and it's also driven by this, like, again, this, like, bewitched nature of Richard Gere, like, seeing her break the the presumptions he has about the world that he lives in. Um, it, it comes from an inherent tension of her invading his space um, because she does not see... 
she's like immune to the walls he's built around him, right? She doesn't see him as as Edward Norton, the owner of the Norton Not Industries. Edward Norton. Edward Norton is from Fight Club. Lewis? I think it's Lewis. Edward yes. Lewis! Yes. Lewis Industries. Uh, I'm, I've only seen Fight Club once, so I don't know why I was thinking about Norton. <laughs> Hysterical. Uh... So Edward Lewis industry, she doesn't she doesn't see all these walls he's built around himself. She's just kind of constantly invading his space, and there's genuine tension. They're both going through their character arcs. Um, Something's got to give is the most slapstick bullshit I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah, it's it's so strange. Like I, I don't think it's trying to be titillating at all. It is it is I I don't I don't know if like they're making some of the some of the humor in Something's Got to Give is definitely like aha, isn't it funny that this old person's fucking. Um, which is, is no fun. Uh, old people have sex. It's they're, they're people. Um, but and like, they should. Yeah. Like it's very strange that, that like, like there is no, no romance. There, there's nothing there to be like, oh yeah, they're having fun, you know, ha- with, with each other. Um, it just, it just feels fundamentally different to me. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel driven by anything. It feels like they're just doing it because it's the right steps to take in a rom-com. Like, oh, these two people meet. They kind of like each other. Now they're going to fuck. It didn't feel yeah. motivated. It didn't feel driven. There was no tension. Uh, it, it, and it was, if there was any tension, it was completely disrupted by this, like, slapstick nature of all the other interactions. Uh, which is because there are really good lines and really good moments in that movie, which is like the pancake thing, right? Where, where they're, they're, they're talking about pancakes, but it's clearly about their relationship where like Marin comes in and, and, uh, Harry played by Jack Nicholson is like, Oh, you don't want pancakes. And she, and it takes Diane Keaton a moment to go like, no, not anymore because she, she thinks there's still something happening there. Um, but it's like, it's trying to be three different movies. It's very weird. It's, it's, it's odd. Um, it just like the, beauty of a rom-com is you're rooting for the protagonists. I wasn't rooting for anyone, but Keanu Reeves in that movie. Right, exactly. And, like, Keanu Reeves gets such a raw deal. Like, I completely understand why he becomes John Wick after this, because, like, if this happens to me, I become a murderer, too. <laughs> I thought, I genuinely thought that he was going to get with Marin, and then Harry and Erica were going to get together. Right. That would make a little bit more sense. No, he's just fully cut out of this entire movie after he, this. He gets a solo Paris vacation. Yeah, that sucks. Poor Keanu. I'm so sorry. Um... So, one thing to wrap it back around to something's got to give for our marketing minute, Layla, to create a new iconic film uh, of the 2020s, I think we should make a rom com about the baby. <laughs> I think we, we do a time skip 20 years later after the, mm-hmm. the baby. Uh, and, and she has to, we have to like work through, you know, what it's like to be a person whose grandpa um, is their mom's ex boyfriend. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, you've laid such a burden on my shoulders. <laughs> um, my initial instinct is to put them in our uh, uh, Just Us 6 mm-hmm. and oh, send wait. them to DC. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, you know, they could be one of the, they could be the fake Democrat. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Marin is on one side like maybe she is like the liberal like you know democrat but i what if the baby becomes like the like the right wing reactionary type um 
and like is one of the people storming the cap like listen if this happened to me i absolutely would become violent and <laughs> and unhinged if this uh, was my not- my life yeah i i think there would also be something wrong with me uh so that's that's my first pitch I mean, um, just a six is just such a good, juicy idea that, like, I think that's got to be the new Mortified Cinematic Universe, um, <laughs> along with the joint Aladdin slash, I want to say Phantom. We pitched a joint Aladdin Phantom uh, crossover we, movie. <laughs> no, who we pitched was you do Aladdin and Phantom next to yes. each other. And then I think at one point, Aladdin, like, there's a hatch that opens. Yes, and Aladdin comes, comes into Phantom for a bit. <laughs> Just as a oh. quick hello. Um, we're fucking funny, uh, and people should should hire us to produce and uh, write for them, because we're great at it. They um, should just invest in us personally, I yeah. think. Yeah, uh, again, mortifiedpod at gmail.com, ripe for investors. Um, Layla, when we are not um, just really understanding culture, dissecting mm-hmm. it, analyzing it, and then using it as fuel for our own twisted minds uh Uh where else can we be found on the internet you can find me at l-e-y-l-s-e-s on blue sky or tumblr uh i'm just still working just working we're working uh silent hill ascension's taking a a bunch of my time if you have dipped into silent hill ascension you can see me on stream in the app uh, most mondays and fridays and uh, wednesdays if uh eduardo or noah or are sick so if you want to see me make more goofs and gags uh professionally uh, I do put on very good eye makeup and go do that. Yes, please go support Layla and the team over there at Ascension. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, on Blue Sky at AA Voigt. Um, my YouTube is at AA Voigt. Um, I'm in the works, uh, like probably late March. I'm going to release what I'm tentatively titling the most important RPG in tabletop uh, essay in RPG or tabletop history. Um, it's mm-hmm. probably going to blow your socks off. Uh, you'll probably never understand media the same way again. So mm-hmm. uh, look for that in late March um, on my YouTube channel. Our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. But yeah, uh, that's about it. Layla, do you do you think this was a, a good episode? It was so good, I almost peed my pants. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>